This is the Dennis Miller Option. Your source of opinions, stories, and laughs from comedian slash comedian Dennis Miller and his guy Friday Christian Blatt. So let's light that candle, Hiroshi. Ladies and gentlemen, Dennis Miller! <laughs> That's it this week. Bye, everybody. Oh, Good night. <laughs> um, welcome to the Dennis Miller Option. And uh, we were supposed to have another guest today, but he fell out. Our guests fall out like drummers in Spinal Tap. <laughs> we, we were going to have Spinal connection. Tap drummer. <laughs> By the way, you know uh, in Spinal Tap, uh, those two mimes serving drinks at the kickoff party at the beginning? Or, you know, one's Billy Crystal, yeah. the other one's Dana. I did know that. Yeah, I didn't know it until recently. But, yes, I, I think he mentioned it somewhere. Dana running around a little unitard. <laughs> and by Dana, I mean Dana Delaney. Yeah. No, I mean obviously. Dana Carvey. And uh, he looks like, uh, you know, a, a noirish version of Frank Gorshin, Gorshin in his Riddler garb from Batman. And, you know, my great unrequited uh, request in life, of course, to see Nancy Reagan in the Riddler outfit never happened. <laughs> But you soldier on, right? It's like when you're in the kill zone on Everest, above the Hillary step, you put one foot in front of the other and you keep on moving. Tenzig Norgay, is there any truth to the rumors? Anybody out there know this? Or is this an apocryphal story I've heard that Edmund Hillary let Tenzig Norgay third take the final step with him? Just saying. Very cool if he did. You know, the Sherpa gets to go with him. Yeah. If he did, that tells you a lot about uh, about Edmund Hillary, as it tells you a lot about Hillary Clinton that she said <laughs> at one point she was named after Edmund Hillary, and then they found out that she was born four years before he did that. Her parents uh, just She knew. can't even tell the truth about why she was named for somebody. Edmund Hillary, I, I've looked it up historically. He was not anybody appreciable enough before that. He was a good man. He was a mountaineer. But he he was not known. He, she was not named after Edmund Hillary. It was just uh, she 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 doesn't know how to do anything else, right? It's just like uh it's it's like a flash reaction. Imagine lying about where your name came from and then somebody looks up and says, "Why would you be named after him? He wasn't even he hadn't even climbed Everest yet." By the way, that's how old she is. <laughs> Everest hadn't even been invented yet. Um, I went to the, uh, we'll get no guests again, so guess what? Strap in. It's another, it's another Dennis takes any little toehold to hammer a piton in. Camp out for a while. Um, they used to have Everest, by the way, in the upper 28,000 feet. And then they went up and did some radar thing, and it went, goes right over 29,000. Sort of like Minute Bowl when he played for the Capitals, or the Bullets, whatever they were called then. And um, what, what else was I going to say about, uh, oh, I was in the uh, Himalayas, or the Himalayas. As the rubes you, call them. You say Himalaya, I say Himalaya, you say tomato, I say tomato, that's no tomato. Um, I was in Bhutan, the magical kingdom of Bhutan, and that's in the Himalayas, and you land at a place called Paro Airstrip, 
which I would just be honest with you. Whatever you take to fly, take double the dose. Because flying into Paro is like a trippy scene. Because you come down out of the clouds, and then there are mountains, you know, all around you. And it's not like the Rockies. You know how the Rockies look when you go to Aspen? Sure. Uh, They're twice that tall. (laughs) How's about that? How's about, think about Aspen, and I don't know, look up Aspen, Christian. I think the city itself sits around 8,200 feet up. But I don't know, what's the biggest peak around? Listen to me like you're my... Like my little, uh, like I'm, I'm I'm the info pimp, and I just make you hit the street. <laughs> uh, it's uh, yes, yeah, so it's eight thousand feet, uh, Breckenridge, you know, not too far away, ninety six hundred. But uh, all right, so how's about three of those? Is Everest, <laughs> and you don't see Everest fly. You you see it off in the distance as you're if it's a clear day, but you don't see it as you come into. Uh, into Paro, but you know there are big things around there. What do you what do you call them, you kids today? Mountains. Never in my life have I met a girl like you. Mountain. Felix Papillardi, Cooking Lang, Leslie West. Yeah, this is what happens when there's no guest. Um, so uh, you you land there and you have to come in, and only one airline flies there, and I think its name's. Is this uh, is this just me transposing the former Zoftig left fielder for the Phillies, Jonathan Kruk, into an airline? I think it's called Kruk Air, which doesn't exactly engender great belief. But it, it, the plane is built so it has two jet engines or prop jets under each wing, so it's very stable. It's a clunky plane. I don't, you know, I don't think you're going to win any air races in it at Reno, but it's uh, very solid. And only Kruk Air at that point, when I went there, was allowed to fly in there because the pilots are specifically trained for it. You have to connect in uh, Bangkok, which I know means Vegas to some of you, but I'm, but it's not. It's an actual city called Bangkok. And then you uh, fly in from there. And uh, at the last minute, you have to get over some slope. And I just remember, you know, when you're down on the ground, even on a rough flight, you start to settle down and you get like certain thing, um, you know, it feels like maybe half a mile or a quarter mile above the surface. And you think, okay, at least we're in the glide here. Nothing's going to happen. At that moment, he almost has to go over on his wingtip to avoid this aperture. And then uh, and then you plunk it down in peril. You've never been happier to be on the ground. Plus, you're a little buzzed from whatever you've doubled the dose on. I think I did a zanny. And I think I, you know, I went to a complete ten milligrams. Annie, is that possible? I don't know. I don't, my I don't know much about milligramage, but uh, I do know that I've invented a new um, sub microscopic particle measurement after Mika Brzezinski called a micogram, which is <laughs> it's the absolute least amount of matter that can exist before matter ceases to exist. The micogram. And uh, you get off the plane, and you've never been happier to be on the ground because it is loud and wooly. I think it is voted on YouTube as the most dangerous landing in the world. And uh, uh, so you get on the ground, and then you walk out, and they don't spay and neuter dogs there in Bhutan, B-H-U-T-A-N, Magical Kingdom, if you want to look it up. Nobody tell Bob Barker. Yeah, exactly. He's uh, thought to be Satan there. <laughs> and Diane Parkinson. His high priestess. 
<laughs> that was my favorite is her and Kenny Rogers worked out something where you'd call up and for, you'd pay them for eight fifty a minute to yep. tell them jerk off stories <laughs> and then they'd fuck to them. Do you remember that weirdness? I, I do. I can't even remember how Kenny pulled that off, but I just remember thinking, how does she how does he pitch that to her? We set up a one eight hundred line, people call and we uh fuck to their fantasies. Jesus, come on, Kenny. You got to know when to alert. You knew that joke was coming. But um, you land there, and they don't have their dog spayed or neutered, so it's a little bit of a heartbreak. There's wild dogs all over the place. And I don't mean, is the word feral? Yes. I just mean they're kind of friendly, and they look like our dogs, which surprised me. I always thought Himalayan dogs would have some sort of aura or, uh, you know, look like uh, a monk. You know, balding. But they don't. They look just like our dogs, like a Cocker Spaniel, and they're all over the place, and you feel sad for them. But you can't feed one, really, because then the word's out on the street, and, like, you're surrounded by dogs. And what else do I remember about I remember going to a place with, um, I hiked up to a place called the Tiger's Lair, I believe it was called. It's maybe... Three to 4,000 feet off the canyon floor there. It's a monastery. It's amazing. You've seen pictures of it. It's like sort of wedged into a wall. It looks very something like Johnny Weissmiller would go, and there'd be only women there, and he'd rescue a boy. Uh, very cool and, and completely unguarded as far as rails and that. You know, like you, you forget how litigious we are here where, you know, if you go to the second floor of a mall, they've got a suicide net there. Over there, there's nothing, nothing. You know, I mean, straight down, and you got to at some points that the path's so narrow, you have to sort of back, put your back against the wall, and you're just thinking, "Well, oh, this just feels cool to be this." Uh... And once again, I haven't been there in around twelve, fifteen years. I don't know what's happened in the interim. I think the kingdom had just opened again when I went, and maybe it's just become you know, uh, Bhutan land at Disney now, Toontown. But at that point, it was still uh, pretty uh, cool and wild. And uh, I remember I took a, a couple pills before I got there that I, I had been to altitude before and gotten such bad headaches that I didn't want that. You can actually take some pill that thins your blood or thickens your blood. I don't know which one, but it gives you creepy nightmares. But you want to have, don't you want to, if you're in the Himalayas, do you want to have regular nightmares where it's your hardware store and you're going, you don't have this wing nut and a three eighths? You know, you want to have some creepy nightmares. So I took that. And I felt invincible, not jacked up on speed, just I, I could breathe. So I think you get up to the Tiger's Lair and it's around 12,000. Maybe I'm exaggerating that, 11.9. And ordinarily, uh, that'd be pretty hard to breathe, but I, would, I just felt bulletproof. And uh, I remember I was with the, uh, my wife and a couple of friends, one of whom was the fashion designer, Tom Ford. And Tom's always so turned out that when we went to hike the mountain, I remember I took an old tuck shirt of mine and cut off the cuffs and put some uh, cufflinks in it and said, here, wear this over your mountain gear. So I'm always used to you with the uh, the French cuff. So he was mountaineering up. <laughs> he had his regular white cuffs. <laughs> I think I have a picture of that. And we got we got up there, and there was this monk, very cool, very Ken Watanabe sort of monk. And uh, he, he has a golden child with him, 
believe it or not, that whole Eddie Murphy bad film, there are those kids. It's the monk in waiting. And I'm not saying they're, you know, flinging plates with their brain power. Oh, I'm well, just saying they're in stu- – yeah. I I'm know. checked out now. <laughs> All right. You're right. The story doesn't exist for you from that point on. If the kid can't fling a wild, wild west choke plate at you with his brain, then what good is it? But the kid sits there all day and he chants, and uh, they take him away from his family. I think he sees them once a year maybe. He goes up and lives in this thing. It's not like a commute. You know, you're not a day student. You go up, you're up. And uh, the kid chants, and he does that for 20 years and becomes a Supreme Court justice, I guess. No, he becomes a, uh, a monk. So anyway, um, I'm listening to the monk chant, the main monk, the uh, Dick Clark monk. And then there's some sub-monks doing Raid a Monk record. (laughs) And then in the corner I see the golden child, and he's just sort of sitting there, and he's bald. You know, they've got him shaved out except for the Yule Brenner thing where... You know, you uh, the strand that God can pull you up to heaven by or something like that. It's a good look. Yeah, it is. And uh, he had it uh, he had it um, braided and beaded like Bo Derek and Ten. No, he had it, he's sitting there, and I'm looking over at him, and I'm keeping one eye on the main monk, thinking, well, this is pretty cool life. This guy's exalted here now. He's trained. You know, he must be zenned out. I'm sure he has regular bowel movements when you're that disciplined. So it's pretty good. You're up in the mountains, clean air, good food. Everybody looks up to you. Um, I think my wife thought he was cute. And I'm thinking, Christ, I'm going to get into a fist fight now with a monk over the old lady. <laughs> um, but uh, the kid monk's sitting there, and I feel for him. I'm thinking, oh, what a weird scene. You, you know, pulled out of your house because they deem you to be exalted. And... Uh, you know, it's like stories you hear about P.G. Woodhouse or something go, going away to private school against their will and being crushed by it later. Uh, but um, he's sitting there, and he looks up at me, and I'm thinking, it must be tough for the little guy. I wonder what this is like. Really weird. The kid opens his mouth and gives me the biggest smile in the world, and he's got wax vampire teeth in. <laughs> And he flashes me the fangs and scurries down the hall laughing. And I thought, oh, thank God, he's still a kid. Somebody had smuggled him up some of those wax fangs. And he had him in, and he knew it was funny, and he knew he was being impish and naughty. And it wasn't as rigid or weird as I thought. And he scurried down the hall, and I just remember thinking, kids will always be kids. But it was so... uh, so, you know, I, I went from being disconsolate about his plight to ebullient about his uh, his future because he still had the fangs in. And then I think I threw a double sawbuck in the prayer dish and rocked. Because, uh, you know, listen, anytime you go to any country in the world and meet their God, you got to throw somebody a bone. It's just the way it works. Everybody wets their beak. Everybody wets the beak. We all get happy. <laughs> It's like when I went to the Vatican, I always think, Christ, there's so many problems with these, uh, you know, these poor kids who've been raped by priests. You're walking through the Vatican, you're thinking, hey, why don't you sell that fucking goblet there for $40 million and give each kid a mill in Boston? You know, every, have you ever been to the Vatican? I have, yes. It's so crazy how much stuff they have. It, It makes, 
You know, Charles Foster Kane looked like uh, Philippe Stark. That's the only reference I had. I got right to the end of it. Philippe Stark, minimalist hotels. <laughs> I saw where the Pope lives. This Pope's kind of cool, kind of goofy, too, with the global warming shit. You know, it's like meeting some uh, holy man, and then, you know, he looks at you and you I, I did a teaser with the Bills and the Buccaneers this Sunday. What about you? You know, and you're thinking, well, they are. <laughs> What are you talking to me about earthbound shit, brother? You're... So when he starts in with the global warming thing, I always think, hey, stick to the hell is hot thing, brother, because you're guessing just like me. But I did see where he lived on the property, and it was out in the, you know some little cabin, which made me dig him. And uh, I, I, they, they actually, the guy who took me around told me that, uh, or I read a story, can't remember. It's funny how your memories go together and you see where people make up stuff about their past and you think you really do have to take a moment and see if you've sunk too comfortably into some narrative or it really happened either i read a story of the guy giving me the tour told me that when the pope got his pope job and had to move to the vatican that he sent a note canceling his newspaper service <laughs> with his name on it which made me laugh uproariously <laughs> reason for canceling um I speak in encyclical now, and I pretty much don't need to know what the news is. I am the news. Did you see the young pope with Jude Law? You know, I never did see it. Oh, Christian, please. Now, listen, if you're a Christian out there, not my Christian, my producer, if you're a Christian, don't watch it. You'll hate me. You'll say, why would he put me on to that? <laughs> it is profane. I, I am a believer, but I can watch shit that is, uh, I guess, deemed to be... What is it called? Sacrilegious? Yes, I would say. And not feel like I'm, vi you know, my God is rhino skin. You know, he's a tough, tough guy. Because every complaint ends up on your desk. So, uh, and, and I also happen to believe my God finds me incredibly funny. <laughs> and that, of course, is why I chose him as my God. <laughs> but um, don't watch it if you're a real Christian or Catholic even, because it is brutal, some of the stuff. But it's a 10-part series, and I, I'd say it was my favorite thing I watched that year. So give it a watch, Christian. I think you'll love it. Jude Law just knocks it out of the park. So I was talking about the Vatican and how they should sell shit, and uh -huh. uh, I was talking about the prayer dish. So then I just went down, and uh, I went back to the almond because, listen, I don't mind roughing it as long as it's around 1,200 a night. <laughs> And, you know, I can rough it and go down and they go, you want the local food? And you go, uh, no. And the Salisbury steak and some corn. Yeah, yeah, we got that, Mr. Miller. You guys got a Quiznos up here? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, then I do, went to th three almonds. I did an almond troika, which sounds like a good candy bar. And um, Bhutan, highly recommended. Although I do remember lo visiting a local once. And uh, I had to use the the loo, as they say, and it was, literally was a hole in the ground. I don't get that. Oh, yeah. I was places in China where that that was the facilities, a hole in the ground. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it's flush with the ground. So for a guy like uh, uh, Larry Craig, the former senator, <laughs> used to tap the thing and masturbate next to people in a stall. You really have to be limber to get down and get into a lotus, tap the foot, and jerk off simultaneously. And you're within range of, uh, 
you know, the heavens when you're that high up. So you feel a little weird about it to begin with. And then as you tap the mud with the uh, insole of your shoe, it doesn't make the regular tapping sound you're used to up at Minnesota. So there's a whole bunch of problems there. Now, I also remember that uh, it was very non-neurotic sexually there. You know, I, maybe it's in their, I don't think they have an internet grid, or they didn't at that point. I don't know that they're uh, into porn. I don't think that's the key to spirituality over there. Speak but, for yourself. <laughs> and, uh, but they do, they're horny like humans are, but they celebrate it. And you drive down the road and there are big murals, portraits painted on the sides of houses. And I'm not saying this to be, when you go there, you'll see what I mean. Huge erect phalluses. Um, spurting on the side of the house kids playing in the yard and you realize we've got a weird trip going here about sex you know that it was sort of procreative over there it was so like non skeevy i don't know what to say they celebrate the act of procreation and they do it in a very uh like i said not a lascivious manner I found that interesting. You know, I talked to my guide about it, and he said, uh, there's some special buildings I can show you for eight bucks. I said, no, no, these are good, the regular buildings. <laughs> no, he didn't say that. They were the sweetest people. And they wore uniforms. And uh, I remember he had a kilt on. And uh, I think I've exhausted my Bhutan memories. But go there. Cool place. I went to a wedding over the weekend up in uh, Canada, uh, the great Martin Short's son got married. Who would you rather be seated next to at the wedding table for dinner and the rest of the evening's act, uh, uh, activities than uh, I was sitting next to Paul Schaefer and across from Steve Martin? Wow. And I had to be resuscitated. <laughs> All right. Now, what has happened in the world? I just found out that, uh, and I didn't remember this, but I was induced in, uh, by a hypnotist that um, Brett Kavanaugh gave me Indian head rub in grade school and put like sort of a rug burn right near the crown of my head. And you know me, whose soft spot on his head healed later in life than me. <laughs> So I'm, I I filed suit against him. What but did he purple nurple you? <laughs> that, there's big parts of this country that are, it's either called purple nurple or titty twister. Oh well. Have well, you ever heard? I've both heard both. Those terms? I've heard both of those terms. Yeah. Ian's here. He's he he betrays nothing. Strict poker face. You haven't heard either of those terms. Oh, just well, titty, twister. titty twister. All right. We know what he's Must into now. Must be from the plains. <laughs> I saw there was a movie with Bill Paxton and Helen Hunt called Titty Twister, where <laughs> it was a calm day, meteorologically speaking, but there was a stranger who came through town and gave everybody a twister. I remember Carrie Elwes, who I loved in Princess Bride, it was very disappointing. It was a man who invented a trash can with little orbs in it that measured the strength of the Titty twister. 
<laughs> we gotta get a guest. I was <laughs> no, no. We gotta get no, a guest next no, time. No, no, no. Well, you know who I'm we have next really, time. I am. Uh, I'm we, out. We've got we've got Doctor Noon for our next show. Ah, Indeed. something tells me I'm into something good. Peter Noon, Herman's Hermits, got good Elvis stories, good drinking with John Lennon stories when he's sixteen. Last time he told me when I had dinner with him, I told you that Christian. He said the. The wisest uh, advice his father ever gave him was never make an audible noise when you get up from sitting. (laughs) (laughs) Words to live by. Oh, that killed me. (laughs) I said, that was your takeaway. You ever tell you that story about where he leaves Van Morrison and Eric Burden at 11 o'clock at night? He's got an early flight down the road in Ireland. Leaves him at the corner of the bar. At like 11, they're like, come on, Pete, one more. He's like, i got to get to bed, boys. I've got like a 6.30 play. Gets up at 6, they're at the same corner of the ball. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't surprise me. <laughs> Working on their gravelly voices. Uh. <laughs> All right, so what's up in the world, Christian? Uh, if you want to send me any mailbag stuff or you want to talk about events of the world, Kavanaugh, uh, I have to be honest with you, folks. I'm checking out on it for a while. I assume that they've offered the woman to come in on Monday Correct. and speak. And if she's been wronged, I, like Trump, encourage her to do so. I saw that he said, I can't wait to hear from her. If she's there, we'll hear, and everybody can make their call. If she doesn't show, I don't think that helps her. I think you got to show and make the accusation, or the guy doesn't, quite frankly, know what to deny. Or, you know, uh, I, I, all I know is it's 36 years ago. And I'm literally going to leave it at that. They can all figure it out. If he's uh, if he's not the next Supreme Court justice, I don't think Trump's going to freak out and pick, uh, you, you know, <laughs> whoever they want him to pick on the left. I think it'll be the same thing. Merrick Garland? Nah. It wasn't, here's the thing about Merrick Garland. They say that they screwed him, but wasn't there a precedent under the Democrats that – when an election was coming up, when they were within a few months of it, a presidential election, that they, they wouldn't make take votes then? I don't know that, but that wouldn't surprise me. Well, I think that's uh, – somebody should somebody who cares more than me hmm. should research that. Not you, Christian. Okay. I know you care as little as me. <laughs> Anybody out there who's listening and that matters to, knock yourself up. <laughs> me? I'm not going to give a shit. I, I think the guy will get in soon. But uh, if he doesn't, that's not going to kill me either. And I think the next guy or gal, I don't know. I think Trump would be so pissed that he would get somebody who was more ideologically to the right, more conservative. And uh, so, like I said, I think half the people who want to knock Trump out think Hillary becomes president. It's not exactly an overly informed culture out there now. Whenever you watch these man on the streets interviews, you think, my God, this is like a, a George Romero film with uh, iPhones. <laughs> so um, it, it, of course, is Pence. So when people say, well, we'll stop Kavanaugh and it'll be our guy. No, it'll be somebody I think Trump will pick somebody really is possible to ex- exhume Mussolini at that point. If you want to go a little further to the right. Um, Just a quick 
cursory uh, Google search, there were three presidents nominees that that happened to between 1844 and 1866. But I'm wondering if you were thinking of something more recent than that. I don't even know. Okay, I was making something up to serve my point. <laughs> Well, I back it up just, uh, you know, like a century oh, earlier. So d- what you just said backed me up? Yeah, it's just it's from, a, it's from a long time ago. Oh, no, no, no. Of course, yeah, yeah, sure. yeah, I yeah. thought That's I knew. That's what you were thinking that. of. I yeah. The, the yeah. You, were, you know, I was just a Tyler guy. I didn't guy. even know if you were validating my point or uh, invalidating it. Well, by invalidating it, I would be validating it in some way. We have a little water here, Christian. But here's the thing. See if you can tell the difference. First sip, hydrogen and oxygen combined. Now, just going to drink the hydrogen. <laughs> now, just the oxygen. I think that's all bullshit. I don't think there's any hydrogen in it. I don't think there's any oxygen in it. You know what's in it? Water. All right. <laughs> Go ahead, Christian. Question. Uh, yeah. Well, Riddles. We got- <laughs> Wait, do some math. Do the math thing for me. I haven't asked you in ages. It's true, you have. And, and I'll keep up, and you—I'll do it out loud, so you don't have to. Just make sure that, that you know, stay in the single digits for a while. Either division, subtraction, multiplication, or addition. Go. Uh, four hundred times fifty-three. Uh, right away, you go to the three digits. All right, go ahead. Four hundred <laughs> times fifty-three. Um, twenty-one thousand two hundred. Plus four hundred fifty. Twenty-one thousand six hundred and fifty. Uh, times two. 43,300. Minus 143. 43,157. Plus 43,000. 86,157. <laughs> times zero. Yeah, I'm pissed on. You. <laughs> I you did. Piss on my I, I, I was looking it. for eight times nine. I think I kept up there. You, I, I think you did too. right out of the box. <laughs> but... Uh, who can't say that? Uh, what the? Well, uh, I'll get to some mailbag in a moment, but uh, there was a special election in Texas, and you I know the. I read about this. Yeah, so the Hillary won by twelve, but yeah. the Republican crushed it down. Exactly. So uh, that's not I the think, narrative. I think everybody's that, guessing on polling. I think you're right. Uh, either guessing or the polling's accurate. It's just nobody's. Everybody's holding their cards close to their vest. You know, do you, do you really feel the need to um, get on the phone with a stranger and then the next day you're at work and somebody comes at you with a master lock and a tube sock? Fuck that. Just shut up. Vote. Uh, I think it's closer than they think. And I think it's going to get a little closer if the economy keeps going great guns like this. And in an odd way, I think the Dems are giving it a little spark, too, by overplaying a hand. Let me ask you this. Do you think the Democrats, if they had picked the five worst days of Trump's presidency and isolated them right now, would be in better or worse shape heading into this, as opposed to the incessant every day is the end of the world? I think a little selectivity along the way, like a day when he said the press is the enemy of the people, the day when the kid is torn from the mother's um, grasp at the border on camera, too. Um, you you can figure out your next three. I don't have that many with him because some of the things that drive people crazy about him make me laugh uproariously. I like him lighting up assholes on on Twitter. So, um, but if they had just picked five bad ones over the last five hundred days, and really leaned into them a little, and then shut up, I think he'd be in worse shape. Just my feeling. 
I think them getting up every day and uh, putting their idiots forward, like Pelosi, lecturing you about how he's a bad guy, and she can't even, you know, they have to teach her the bullet points phonetically now. She's so gone. I think they've hurt themselves in a little bit. They're going to say, no, no, we know what we're doing. We'll see. But uh, I, I, I don't know uh, that that election is a one-off in Texas, that it means all that much. But I don't know about this blue wave either. And uh, uh, I think that uh, the Senate will stay uh, red. And uh, the House, uh, you know, half of me is a little curious if it did go over to blue. But people say, oh, they'd make his day-to-day life hell. Yeah? All right. I've learned to not make guesses about Trump. I think Trump the first day would say, good, uh, these morons in the Republican Party didn't even get my health care thing through. Screw them. Open for business, folks. I think the Dems at that point, listen, we have wounded our brand so much being crazy. If this guy's going to give us, I think they have to get a little less crazy with him if the house is blue. Uh, by a minimal, by a shaving, where they can still skim a few votes. I, I, honest to God, it's the it, Trump to me is the violator of all uh, heretofore common knowledge. I think he's eradicated a lot of that. I don't quite know what would happen, but I don't think that Trump would wake up every day and say, "I'm afraid to go to work." There's a bully who wants my lunch money. I, I don't think he operates that way. It's Joe Biden. Biden. <laughs> Jesus God. Biden is. Uh, uh, Biden is. Uh, that pretty much says anyway, it. You know, that's what he is. <laughs> He's got that thing now, old guy, long hair, which is bad, <laughs> a bad look, man. You know, get that trimmed in the back. You want that to lay flush because it, it hangs down a little. It looks like, uh, you know, icicles on a trellis in Christmas in Connecticut or something hanging down the back of his neck. Got to get that trim, Joe, because you look dinged enough up front. The eyes are getting a little wonky, going southeast, northwest. Everybody knows. That, that's the thing about Biden. It's going to be tough to ID him as dementia because I've he's been so fucked up for so many years that it really, can you, are you going to be able to isolate that he's any more untethered than he was years ago? And he said, I was at my diner this morning. And then you find out the diner hasn't existed in 17 years. I think uh, Biden is shakier than a rescue dog in Phil Spector's house. But looks like he's going to be the front runner. Uh, Kim Jong-un has said... By the way, aren't, aren't, Chris, aren't all the kids on the left... Do you think they'll ever wake up to the thing where it's all about youth in the street and we're taking it back and that the front runners are going to be <laughs> by... People that are in their 80s? And uh, <laughs> maybe Hillary, I guess, and Bernie Sanders? Aren't the kids at some point going to say, listen, we're taking it back and we'd like somebody within... 60 years of us, <laughs> six decades, it's not just somebody, because this guy, I was not born, and, and I've got the power now, I wasn't born until 61 years after this guy, <laughs> but he speaks for me, it's oh, just, he a, yeah, he, he, he mumbles for me, <laughs> Jesus God. Look what's happening out in the street. Got a revolution. Walk a revolution. You know, you got Biden leading these kids into, and he's, he's on a walker at this point. Yeah, right. 
Uh, so uh, Kim Jong-un has said that uh, he would dismantle North Korea's main nuclear site if the U.S. would also take steps towards dismantling some of their own nuclear proliferation. Let me think. I'm going to give a serious answer here. I hadn't read this. I thought we had some agreement with the guy. So he's going back on that? No, this is just sort of trying to move things further. You know, this this isn't going back. It's just there hadn't been any talk about it in a while. You know, Pompeo canceled the visit. So I think this is more of like a good faith thing. Like, look, I'll I'll do it if you guys do it. I I think they've got like a Lego nuke program. (laughs) I honestly, I think they could take it apart over the weekend. Um, if we can get them to agree to do that and say that we'll take apart one of our things, I would take apart one of our things and then build a bigger, better one. You know, because you didn't say you'd take it apart in perpetuity. You just said, we'll take apart this one and we'll build a bigger one pointed right at you. Because I, I really think that if he fucks around too much and Trump's in trouble, you know, guys have bombed, what's it called, wag the dog? Mm-hmm. Aspirin factories have been bombed. I I think that one night the kid will wake up and there'll be a drone hovering over his bed with a little warhead on it. Uh, that and by the way, I think that's the the coming wave in warfare is the personalized nuclear warhead, where you somehow only use a tiny little angstrom-sized granule of fissionable material, say a deuterium two thirty-five, that two thirty-six, why not? <laughs> and uh, you fire a little projectile and it like mushroom clouds but just his head just a little poof and his head's gone because the waste and believe me this is all about global warming this isn't about warfare for me but the waste of using the big nuclear bombs i just think is inexcusable now i'm practicing sustainable locally sourced radioactive warfare (laughs) and i think you should too farm to table but uh i think that the kid best not bet Trump being in, I think if Trump is not in trouble, he has more of a chance of uh, Kim Jong Un does of bridling and maybe slow walking this stuff. I think if Trump is in big trouble, I think that the, the kid runs the risk of be going to bed Kim Jong Un and waking up Kim Jong Un, and I think it can happen that quickly. So if I was him, I wouldn't fuck around a lot. Uh, looking over to the mailbag, we got some great feedback on our show from Tuesday. Oh, really, Christian, tell me, tell me. I know you. you, you Wait a second. <laughs> was like, well, get a loofah first. Take off the upper epidermis, <laughs> and then, and then slather on the. Yeah, it's like with the old radio show. We'd have eight. I calls. adore being a girl. <laughs> Best way to get on the old radio show: just say, "Love the show." And we got a lot of that on Twitter. Uh, James Arthur says about our most recent episode, best hour I've spent listening to anybody for as long as I can remember. It's like you were inside my mind, only using a lot of words my mind isn't capable of. Love the podcast. God, I had to get off Twitter comments because they were all, I hope you get stomach cancer. So it's... uh... It's nice to know that uh, maybe we're making. Uh, no, yeah, sorry. Then there's a PS. There's a PS. Hope, hope you get, get stomach, stomach cancer. cancer. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> but the first part was so nice. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I ask is to move it down on the other end of you. Yeah, he didn't put it at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> a salutary note then. Stomach cancer away. <laughs> 
All right. Well, um, what about events of the world or something? Sure. A question from the mailbag. Because as much as I dig adoration, and believe me, I'm an adoration whore, um, there's, you get a little sheepish. There's so what much you, adoration. What am I to say? Okay. <laughs> but uh, this is uh, referring to a couple shows ago, uh, hmm. just about the, uh, you know, we talked about the Paul McCartney revelation. about that he, uh, was, he and John jerked off? Yes. And, uh, uh, like Kinnear and Defoe. <laughs> She just writes, gross. Why did he have to share that tidbit? Keep some things in the vault, please. Mm -hmm. Well, I remember, um, I'll be honest with you, I'll be candid. Christian and I sat down one night in a half circle with the strict intention of jerking off together, and then we didn't. Because <laughs> I looked across and I said, if you jerk off, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> and so we didn't. Uh, but we uh, we wrote magical mystery tours. <laughs> I always love the stories about the Beatles, where uh, like uh, John will say, uh, or Paul says, and Johnny and I skipped school and we went to this apartment and uh, we wrote Sarah standing there. <laughs> you know, it's like I skip school and I watch uh, you know five episodes of American Ninja or something. These guys sit down and write timeless songs. Three o'clock, John. What should we do? <laughs> what about Ray Wright? Hey, Jude, till four. <laughs> it's just they led such a, a quirky life. Met Ringo recently. Just saying. Is that all you want to say? Just saying, because I don't want to betray it. But met him for the first time. As groovy as I'd hoped. That's what I wanted to hear. That's what I love hearing about. Ah, the, the grooviest. Oh, and cool. to hear that voice <laughs> after all these years, and uh, you know. So uh, so funny and Ringo Eskian. It was a thrill of a lifetime. So uh, there was an interesting story that uh, caught my eye. Uh, a crew for the TV show Inside Edition. They were mm -hmm. uh, filming up in the Bay Area doing a report on crime, and they were robbed of their camera equipment while they were filming this. Really? Yes. <laughs> so that's. Well, that, that, save that story for sweeps. They've got a hell of a story there. <laughs> um, the, the thing is, here's the shocking thing to me. That Inside Edition is still on. That absolutely, it, it's like you just said to me, hey, did you see Bonanza on Sunday? <laughs> Hoss and Little Joe. And then you just want to say, wait, aren't they both dead? No, no, show's still on. He's Big Joe now. But other than that, it's the same show. Who is the host uh, last of I saw, Inside Edition? It was Deborah Norville, and I believe it oh, has been her ever since O'Reilly hosted it forever ago. So I think she's, you know, she found a home there. And wow, then she has stumbled into a uh, a, a Povichian gold mine, to quote the great Dostoevsky and Maury Povich. <laughs> but... Where I just found out that Jerry, what's his name, was on until like a month ago, right? Jerry Springer. Oh yeah, no, I, I thought he was still on actually. Oh well, maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I, mean, I think maybe he's still Povich on. Stepped on, but yeah, I'm telling you, if you find there is a there is a place under the flatline electroencephalogram chart, and yet just above the radar where you can stay on the air, make a mint. And literally print money off the lowest common denominator. All you have to do is every three episodes, 
Um, you, you know, it, it's the same premise that I've seen in other contrivances, uh, bread and circuses, the Romans used to call them, to uh, placate the masses. Uh, in pro wrestling, they always have a tin uh, corrugated stair near the ring. It's almost like sheet metal, but it looks, it reeks of titanium. And invariably, somebody will pick that up and hit somebody with it. And, you know, it, 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 it keeps people placated, as they do on Jerry Springer's show, when they flip a table or something, or they're always on some, uh, uh, you know, Barcelona chair that they knock the person backwards and they fall back. All you need to do is do that once a week. And you have the interest of uh, the masses because it, they, they want to find something that buttresses them on the lower end. Like, uh, I, you know, I remember when I was broke, I used to watch wrestling all the time. And I used to think, I, I am bereft. I'm so out of the loop. I'm barely in the human race. I have to send a cable, <laughs> you know, to, if I'm on fire to get somebody throw water on me. But then if I watched wrestling, I'd say, and guess what? I'm Machiavelli compared to the. So I, I think there's a great hay to be made there. The other place I remember it is in roller derby. They used to have a medical crate that was literally in the infield and all it was was the same thin plywood that you would nail train tracks to under your christmas tree made out of that they'd have a piece of adhesive tape on it and some of those scissors that are so blunt you could actually plunge it into your eye and not even break the mucosa on the surface of the eyeball and every match somebody would take somebody and ram them into the infield and ram their head into it and once again it was the same thing People out there watching, thinking, "Christ, my life is stuck on the pad. I am, cannot get off." Well, at least I'm not getting my head mashed into a fucking medical box on roller derby, <laughs> and you'd feel better about yourself. So I think that's how Springer, and, uh, and I'm not saying Norville is in that uh, that loop. Uh, I think that's a little higher end, but certainly one would have to think in the times we live, would a camera crew out filming a story about theft? being robbed of their camera equipment be a plant. <laughs> I mean, it's not everybody talking about this. That's true. And and would you say, could you look me in the eye in all sincerity and say, they would never do that. <laughs> it's television. <laughs> I would never say that. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like that great line that uh, Hank Azaria has at the uh, end of, what to me is one of the greatest modern films, one of my favorite films of all time, Quiz Show, oh. where at the very end, as the Van Doren's car pulls off into the distance, you hear his voiceover as he's still testifying in front. He plays uh, Dave Barry's assistant, the great David Pamer, who's brilliant in that movie. And you hear Azaria say, uh, yeah, they said, you really rigged it? You know, well, uh, you know, what can I say, Senator? Uh, it, it's not like it was surgery. It's television. <laughs> that's sort of, that's the same thing that comes to mind when I hear that. I, certainly they wouldn't contrive that, would they? <laughs> oh, of course not. It's television. Television is a... Uh, I want you to think of the wispiest when you're suffering heat prostration in the middle of the Gobi and you look off in the distance and see a completely fake oasis. <laughs> Television is even wispier than that. <laughs>
It barely exists out there, and periodically I think a camera crew reporting on crime needs to be criminalized to keep your vague interest. So I'm saying staged. Uh, Speaking of television, a former writer for Sesame Street has uh, dropped the bombshell that uh, Bert and Ernie are gay. The uh, Muppets uh, have long been questioned as to whether or not they're just friends. He says that he always viewed them as a gay couple, and he modeled their relationship after his partnership with a a male film editor. Mm, I don't believe that. Um, has had nothing to do with sex. I, I think that dates, if I had to guess, to pre-war Capra before you know he came back and much like George Stevens and uh, you know anybody who went over there uh, to do f- films, John Huston, they all came back sobered. You watch Stevens's films after and before, and it's completely different. But in the movie, It's a Wonderful Life the great Capra classic, there are two men in there, one the cab driver and somebody else who are named Bert and Ernie. And at one point, Jimmy Stewart says, Bert, Ernie. Yeah. (laughs) And so that's, now unless he, I I think that's where you hear that first. And I don't remember there being gay lovers in It's a Wonderful Life. I don't think that was. Oh, yes, I do. (laughs) <laughs> no, don't. Look, we don't know what old man Potter did when he went home. There might have been a dungeon there. Uh, so if you don't buy into that one, what do you think about the writer's assertion that uh, Mr. Snuffleupagus likes to watch? <laughs> Is that your joke? Yes. That's a pro joke. Thank you. Get over here. Noogies. <laughs> now that's funny. Um, I think uh, I... Listen, um, whatever the guy wants to say. But I I do know the first time Bert and Ernie were in his head was watching It's a Wonderful Life or somebody over there. And I think that's where that stuck from. And those were not too good. Yeah, and this is also a guy who started writing in 1984. Like the characters had been around for 15 years and I believe were created by Jim Henson. And so they're saying like, no, not really. They're just – they're not anything. They're just a couple of puppets who who are friends. But you you can see that every waking moment has to be about something now. You you know what I mean? It's – I think in an effort to be uh, special, we've gotten beyond tedious. That's all I can say is that every single moment has to be meaningful when it is in some odd way rendered at all. Uh, uh, at the risk of uh, repeating ourselves, I wanted to backtrack to the Paul McCartney story because in the mailbag, Jeez, we do have... You really, every day I end up talking <laughs> about uh, this... Uh... <laughs> Wank fest on the, the Fab Four hell. Well, what's this well, is two this or is, three times a day. Th- this is I a... got a text from Christian <laughs> last night saying uh, it was a vine. Thank you very much. <laughs> but it's a it's a bit surf, and I was looking for it earlier, and I couldn't find it. I wanted to share from uh, a people listener. don't even know what bit surf is. It. I used to do jokes on the air, and I had a sidekick that was barely awake. Before Christmas. I was just saying, you're not talking about me. No, no. You, complete <laughs> coma. You, you, it's like I'm Jean-Vierre Bougeot and I go into a half-lit room and you're hanging from some nipple spindles from the ceiling. And I, oh, they're barely keeping you alive. <laughs> but Salmon used to, like, not pay attention. And um, 
how did I get off on this again? Well, you what that was, was how BitSurf BitSurf. So um, I would wake him up periodically just <laughs> so he could earn his check. And he whatever joke I had just told, he would add one word to it and act like, you know, I'd say, uh, what part is the McNugget? And he'd, I'd go, Salmon? And he'd say, what part of the bird is the McNugget? And he thought he was in on the joke. And I called it bit surfing because he would take my bit and surf off it. And we even came up with a song. Um, well, I'm waxing up my premise and taking it on down to the beach. Bit surfing, bit surfing. Two tags on every bit. Anyway. By the way, I went to the uh, L.A. County Fair with Salmon last week. and <laughs> Jesus Christ. Why didn't you just turn the pilot light out and put your head in the well, fucking oven? Me telling you this right now is what they call a cry for help. I need someone to get involved in my life. I have seen Salmon (laughs) walk through a county fair and watched churros slit their wrist. The actual dessert. Is that what those are called? Yes. Lincoln logs of flavor? Uh, in any case, the uh, bit surf I wanted to share with you because uh, Robert Croft. Is there a gas station between yeah. me and the end of this? No, I'm going to give I, you. I'm to fuel up here before I hit the fucking <laughs> arid desert of this premise. I wanted to give you Robert Croft, not the owner of the Patriots. He has five. Croft. Yeah, this is Robert Croft. Oh. So Robert sends in. These are his oh, uh, okay. Paul McCartney so, bit surfs on some that you did, and they include. Coctopus's Garden, I Want to Hold Your Knob, Sergeant Pecker, A Hard Day's Wank, and my favorite, The White Album. <laughs> the White Album's good. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to, yeah, to like be built up to that. See, there's comedy right there, selectivity. Because if the guy just said, if he didn't send, you know, it's not a, it's, it's not a, uh, uh, um, about numbers. It's about quality. White Album, super clever. The ones leading up to it might have set White Album up to work more for me because I was so disappointed at that point. <laughs> you know, so maybe it's like, dud, 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 dud. Whoa, where's that from? But I would have probably led with White Album just left it at that. It's like that comedian used to do a joke, and I won't say his name. I don't want to be. But he had the – I used to go into the room to watch this comedian when I first started. And the first ten minutes were just deadly. But he had one joke that I would always stay for, and I always thought, that's what you got to lead with, and then try to write up to that joke for the rest of the act. And if you can exceed that, he would have been famous. I, I would have told his name now proudly, but I, I don't think it really worked. But he had a joke that was around 10 minutes in that was so brilliant that I used to covet the joke. Although I've had writers write jokes for me on shows I've had over the years that were so good I couldn't do the joke, where I'd say I... This one would haunt me. You do this. Cause <laughs> you, I, I can't fake like I thought that up. You did that for me a couple times. On yeah, I just say, show. no, no, yeah. this joke, uh, I, I don't mind taking. I'll try to write the killer joke, and you you try to write the interstitial or the sinew or a good joke. I'm not like I'm in Gandhi over here, but certain jokes are so great. I, I think it's a karmic betrayal to uh, do them. And this joke was always that for me. It said, um, I have a new girlfriend. I love this girl so much. I would give her absolutely anything except the money that I owe her. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a genius joke? 
even as I recant it, it, tell, it takes my breath away. I, I used to always tweak it in my head and say, I might say, but then I thought, no, I can see why he doesn't do that. The, the, you know, there's very few, outside of watching a hockey game, there's very few instances where you can use the word save, right? But that might be a place where it would be served, where you, I would give her anything save the money that I owe her. But then it becomes more poetic or something, and it loses it. So I can see why he settled on accept. But I, I do say in my head when I used to tweak that joke, just think, what's the final, what's the final buff on that? I would have said save. I would have probably had to go back to accept, but I would have tried save a couple times up front. Save the month. You, you know how I mean save there. Not Absolutely. Yet, yeah. S- except for save. But, but choosing save makes the uh, makes the difference. Well, uh, it's his joke. I, yeah. I just envied the joke so much I used to fantasize about how it would feel to tell it. And Ronnie Shakes had one of those. The great Ronnie Shakes, who looked older when we were young, so I can't even tell you how old he was. He might have been in his mid-40s, but at the time he seemed like an elder statesman when I started. And he did a joke that just took my breath away. He died after jogging working in Arizona at a comedy club. I think it was a hot day. Lovely cat. I mean, lovely. The sweetest guy. And it was more of a staccato, uh, sort of a Borscht Belt Grossinger's feel. But, 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 you know, it had an iambic pentameter to it. Uh, he did that great joke about uh, all Marriott's are the same. Uh, I stayed overnight at Newark Marriott because uh, I had to fly out early for a gig. I was clipping my toenails. One of the toenails flew off into the rug. Next morning, I caught an 8 a.m. flight to St. Louis, where I checked into the St. Louis Marriott, sat at the edge of my bed to take my shoes off, saw a toenail on the rug, picked it up. It fit. <laughs> it fit. Used to kill me. But he did this great joke about uh, how they have giveaway days at Yankee Stadium. And, uh, you know, it's a mini bat or a baseball or a bobblehead or a sign glove. Although I don't think bobbleheads existed back then. Is that possible? They're they're fairly recent. I would say last like fifteen. Yeah, maybe this would have been years. in the late seventies. So oh. I don't think it was a big thing. But he would say, he'd say, I, uh, "What if it was a truly unique giveaway day? Say Pope's Hat Day, <laughs> where he's there, where you're a Yankee batter and you're in the uh, on deck circle and you step into the plate and spit on your hands and look up at the audience and there are fifty audience the, the crowd and there are fifty seven thousand people all wearing that tall." pope's hat <laughs> and then that's funny enough right just the but he's there but then the guy steps out of the box as he appraises it and here's the part to kill me he says and he thinks to himself wow i hope it's pope's hat day <laughs> not not it must be which is funny in and of itself sure. yeah but i said to him i said ronnie <laughs> i said i hope just reduces me and he's like, yeah, he's like, I put that on at the end and I wasn't really getting, he said, the, the, the tag wasn't getting as big a laugh as the, what went before it. So I tinkered and went from, uh, it must be to, I hope. And if anybody would ask me to define what a comic, uh, genius is in any given moment, going to, I hope it's Pope's hat night is, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that gives me goosebumps now as I talk about it. 
Um, all right, we almost wrapped up. You got anything? Almost. Well, I had one with? more. Something that makes me uh, think of this. This is a good way to wrap up. Uh, it's a. It, I read an interview with our friend Norm McDonald, and I wanted to sort oh, yeah. of. How is Norm now? I called him the other night. I left a message, but he hasn't gotten back to me. That that sounds like Norm, but yeah. uh, <laughs> that uh, you know, regardless of what's going on, him not getting back to you. You is... know how you can get Norm's attention? Just lay out any. Uh, if I ever want to get his attention, he'll text me back immediately. Just say, I can't believe he drew a queen on the flop. <laughs> Some poker term? Because he'll say, well, what are you watching? Honestly, I don't, give, I don't care where Norm is at. If he gets the text that says, I can't believe he pulled a queen on the flop, he'll be right back to you. Well, what are you what, where are you at? Because he loves his poker. Uh, so in a, an interview that he did with the failing New York Times, uh, he mentioned, I guess, that you hired him based on one joke that he submitted. Right. <laughs> and uh, I want to make by sure. By the way, I've never asked a comedian for a packet in right. my life. Oh, yeah. That's that's there'd be like a. a what am I know, in the Medellin a, cartel? A head writer. A or, packet. Or, yeah. I don't know who was asking for a packet, but it wasn't me. Yeah. Uh, but. Uh, so whoever requested a packet off Norm, Norm, as an existential protest, said, wrote one joke. Well, the way he tells it now is that uh, he couldn't come up with any more. So he's like, well, I hope he likes this one joke. Uh, and uh, so I wanted to make sure that that seemed like an accurate memory, and it does. Uh, and I thought I'd share the joke because no, it's the in the article. Was brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember it or would you like yeah, to? Yeah, you go because okay. I, I remember it like euphemism. Sure. Jeffrey Dahmer went on trial today for murdering and cannibalizing 15 men, but I don't like his chances after hearing what his defense strategy is going to be. They started it. <laughs> How do you not hire that guy? <laughs> you have to. How do you not hire that? I read that joke. I, they had to put the paddles on me. And he was in a room with Drake Sather, who ended up writing Zoolander. Poor Drake, we've lost him, but he was just a – he's the guy one night Leno was being all avuncular with us at the – I told you that story, didn't I, Christian? At that one you definitely haven't told on the podcast. I, I, well, Jay's got like a Arthur Conan Doyle pipe with a straw hat on, and he's talking. You know, he's just done Playboy After Dark where he's you know, <laughs> standing at the mansion next to the Barbie Benton bus telling jokes. And, you know, he's made it before us. So naturally he's got wisdom he wants to lay on us. We're all sitting there in the uh, upstairs at the improv and Jay, you know, he has his dictums that he, it's almost like Martin Luther's theses that you lay. If you've got 15 jokes, you tell joke one through eight on your first shot. If you're lucky enough to get another shot, you tell nine through 15. What are you backloading shit? <laughs> You know, it's always that. It's like Socratic method, you know? So Drake's got a cigarette. He's sitting in the back room. There's always one kid who's looking askance at the older cat laying knowledge on you. He's usually the one who makes it. So Jay gets to the end of, like, his 15th precept, and uh, I remember Drake takes a hit on a cigarette and he goes, Hey, uh, thanks, Jay, but I have a dad. <laughs> <laughs> so he and Norm end up in a room writing for me. And literally, they've Elvised it. They've tinfoiled off the windows. And uh, I'm, like, going over, like, at 11.30 for a 5 o'clock show each day, saying, you guys got anything? And uh, Drake says to me, uh, Norman, he doesn't react well to that. Um, <laughs> if you come by around 1 o'clock, we'll just slide some stuff out from under the door. 
And I, I was always loose with writers, man, because I always was looking for, a, you know, somebody who had genius. And I always figured, guys like Norman Drake, I thought, these cats are about to just go by, you know, where I'm at on the backstretch. You know, they're drafting right now, looking for a gig. So I never laid down. I was a good boss in that regard. Whatever your thing is, man. Just And I would get 12 jokes, 10 of which if I told them I'd be in prison. <laughs> And two that were so funny that sometimes they were too funny to do on television because nobody would get them. But then every once in a while you'd get to, you know, just the, the well, they were both uh, geniuses. And I loved them. I loved Norman. I loved Drake. I miss him. All right. Well, that's the uh, send Christian some mail. Yeah. And t- it's, try to tell him uh, if you want guests or not, because I don't mind doing this each week. It's sort of like therapy, you know. This is the same shit I used to tell shrink for 400 bucks an hour. <laughs> and now um, I get paid. Well, if I get paid, it would be good. <laughs> and uh, the place I, I, to... I, you know, should I ask somebody about payment? I, you, should, you, can, you can give Norm a call. Because uh, I uh, How long have we been on? I haven't gotten paid yet. Well, between the I'm two... I'm not worrying about it. I assume you get a split on what you sell and... You know, I know at this point lately we've gotten some good ads, but before that it was something for like uh, Hoagie Hut. Yeah, stuff like I thought. <laughs> Christ, well, well, this can't be worth a lot. But uh, anyone who wants to submit anything for the mailbag, you can tweet <laughs> using the hashtag Dennis Miller option. You can tweet at Dennis DMZ, or if you like, you can tweet at me, Christian DMZ. I'll read them all. Spent the afternoon exchanging missed phone calls with my Lebanese drug dealer. Hashtag, hashtag. <laughs> All right. I'm out. Thanks for listening to the Dennis Miller Option. Until next time, that's the show, and we are out of here. <laughs>